heard the worst joke in kindergarten today. Did a kindergartner give you a joke? Tell you a joke? The kindergartner's jokes are amazingly bad that you can't help but laugh. Because they make no sense. They made such little sense that I cannot even remember what he said. I love how you, you were like, you are being so harsh to kindergartners right now for not having good jokes. <laughs> These how are kindergartners they gonna... should know better. They should, they should craft the words. How are they, they should... going to know? How are they going to know that they tell bad jokes unless somebody tells them? Oh my gosh. Somebody's got to tell them. Hey, you're... kid, that joke is not funny. Somebody got to tell them. There's a reason why you're celibate. Many reasons. Okay, so I've been wanting to talk about this for a while now. For some reason, we haven't had an opportunity. Oh, how I'm way better than you at basketball? As true as that might be. I'm not going to laugh at your stupid jokes. Okay. Do you have any other jokes you want to get out of your system? Yeah. How do you get Pikachu on a bus? Pokemon! That's what it is. You Pokemon. So, I see you uh, have a book in front of you right yeah, now. Yeah, so I wanted to talk about this book for a long time. All right. But never got the chance. Let's talk about the book. Are you as excited as I am? Yeah. Are you going to read from it the whole time? Are you just going to read from the book? Pretty much. Is that okay? Great. So everyone just uh, sit back, uh, grab a pillow, and um, get ready to take a nap. How dare you introduce my (laughs) podcast that way. (laughs) All right. So the name of this book is The Everlasting Man. Well, written by G.K. Chesterton. I have not read this whole book. I have not read one whole G.K. Chesterton book, have you? Yeah, Orthodoxy, The Dumb Ox. Yeah? Are they good? Yeah. I heard really good things about this guy. I probably quote this guy more than... So it's about Jesus. But the way that he goes about talking about Jesus is from a very, I think, modern way in which I think other people think about Jesus rather than, oh, the Lord of my life, the Savior of the world, my end-all be-all. The one who lives in me more than I live in him. Yeah. That sort of a thing. So the beginning, the introduction of the book, the very first lines say this, the plan of this book. There are two ways of getting home. And one of them is to stay there. The other is to walk around the whole world till we come back to the same place. I tried to trace such a journey in a story I once wrote. It is a relief to turn from that topic to another story that I never wrote. Like every book I never wrote, It is by far the best book I have ever written. And why I think this is an important insight is because I think a lot of people are Catholic, but they don't really know what it means to be Catholic. At least maybe I could just speak for myself. Like I was baptized since I was a baby and came to this recognition that I was Catholic because my parents raised me Catholic. Somebody were to ask me what my religion was. I was very free to say Catholic. But then as I grew older, something within me started to boil up and I really didn't like calling myself Catholic. Or maybe if somebody were to ask me, I would say it, but it wouldn't have much meaning to me. Yeah. The implication, it seems, that Chesterton is writing about in these two lines is that one should leave home in order to appreciate it. Must even leave home in order to appreciate it. 
And so the question comes up like, uh, is it better to live in your family? One would say yes, right? Because they're your family. But if you don't really appreciate your family, how do you grow an appreciation of your family? One is to stay and hope that uh, they they help you to appreciate who they are. But then another is to leave. Two ways of getting home. The other is to walk around the whole world till we come back to the same place. So if you don't get along with your family, you should leave? No, no. It's a, it's a metaphor, so I, I suppose, I don't mean to say that, but. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah what he says, he says it similarly in, <clears throat> a little, in the next paragraph. The point of this book is that the next best thing to being really inside Christendom is to be really outside it. And it's only those people who are really outside it can they really be critics of the church, where they can turn and look at the church and say, this is what's good about the church and this is what's bad about the church. What we find today is that there's um, critics of the church who are not really outside the church they still hold a Christian identity of some sort. There's still some relation to it, like they'll go to Mass on Christmas and Easter. <clears throat> but in their heart of hearts, they really don't identify with the church in the way that the church meant for them to identify it. So they're really just sort of living in the shadow of the church and criticizing it from within that shadow rather than leaving the church to, to criticize it because that's the only fair place to stand. Which is an interesting... I, I think premise or proposition for us to consider yeah. um, a Hindu would be much in a, in a much better place to judge Christianity than a non-practicing Christian. Yeah, that's interesting. But I, yeah, I think that's very true. And it, it, what he mentions is, um, well, one of the things I just started thinking about is how quick are you to judge Hinduism or Buddhism? Are you quick to judge those? Me? Yeah. No, not really. But I guess in the state of the world that we live in, yeah, more people are quick to judge Christianity than they are Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, Confucianism. So it seems to me. Yeah, seems to me too. I'd say the bi- the two big ones probably that are criticized: Christianity and uh, Islam. Yeah, for very different reasons. Yeah, very different reasons. But I I feel like those are the ones that people concentrate on. When was the last time you heard someone criticizing Buddhism or Hinduism or Zoroastrianism or Father Derek Hoism? There's many critics of that. So I just, uh, I guess I bring it up because I think it's important for people to be cognizant of where they are in their own journey. Yeah. Um, maybe people are upset, they're upset with the church because the church hasn't met their ideal and that's why they feel so strongly about it because they haven't met their ideal rather than that they formally agree or disagree, I should say, with what the church holds. Yeah. Hold on one second. Okay, go ahead. Within... Wait, hold on one more second. <sighs> okay, go going ahead. going to murder you. It seems to me like like the most popular position in the Catholic Church today is to be is to be a Catholic, to be baptized a Catholic, but not to really identify yourself um, with the teachings of the Catholic Church. Hmm. If you called yourself an American and you wholeheartedly disagreed with the freedom of speech, uh, the freedom of religion, 
the freedom to bear arms, you know, all of the things in the Bill of Rights and stuff. Are you an, really an American? Like, if you are truly, I don't know, maybe this is becoming too philosoph philosophical, but it seems like, and I think this, why I'm thinking about it is because there are so many Americans right now who are so highly critical of America. And I think we in the church, we find the same thing. There are so many Catholics right now who are so highly critical of the Catholic Church that there is this atmosphere within both where it's like, well, the norm is to be anti-clerical or the norm is to be anti-politics or government, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't think that that's what is intended by our founding fathers. So I guess I just make the point that you criticize something the if you really feel strongly about that thing, you criticize it from the outside, not the inside. You like formally defect from it, you know? Yeah. And in some ways, what Chesterton, I feel Bold like... Bold statement right there. Yeah. And do I want people to leave America? No, I don't. But in, if, if it's going to help you to walk around all of the other countries in order to understand how great America is... Now, I won't say the same thing about being Catholic because I think grace builds on nature, right? You don't Ooh. become like an alien or something, or I don't think you have to become an atheist in order to appreciate who God is. What about like college students who, you know, they, they got confirmed, but their parents really wanted them confirmed and they didn't, didn't really know what it meant to be confirmed. And then they go to college and they want to experience like other religions and stuff like that in order to appreciate their faith. Should they leave Catholicism? Can you? I don't even know. Can you leave Catholicism once you're confirmed? No. Like, you're bound. No, but what I think you can do is be... You can stop practicing, but... Yeah, which is the case. But I think what you can do, which is more intellectually honest and spiritually honest, is um, to just admit to yourself that if somebody were to call you, ask you what your religion is, don't say, don't say, oh, yeah, I'm Catholic. Because you don't really believe it. Yeah. Now, are you, is your soul baptized Catholic from a theological standpoint? Yes. Can, can anything take that away from you? No. You'll always be a baptized Catholic in God's eyes. But in your eyes, it's something quite different. I think for a lot of people in the church, uh, we have familiarity fatigue. Have you heard that before? The idea that, you know, things have become so familiar to us that it doesn't touch us at all. Yeah. Like the, the nativity of Jesus or the virgin birth of Mary. Like, w those aren't miracles to us anymore. Or going to Mass on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, but more so, I mean, like, the theological mysteries yeah. of our Christian faith. The fact that God became a, uh, a human person. I'm sorry. That's wrong. Became a divine... Like, became a person. That's crazy. Uh, a, a woman who was conceived by a spirit and gave birth to a, a man yeah like that's ridiculous would you call that familiarity fatigue i like yeah. that i've never heard that before yeah it says page 19 so i think what chesterton is at least trying to do in this introduction is just introduce the idea of christianity being seen from the outside and on the inside and if you are on the inside then you should take the authority of those who are inside it because they are the ones who have devoted their lives to um leading people to the fullness of truth, goodness, and beauty. But then also take into consideration those who are outside it, who oftentimes have more respect for our religion than like 
the people who adhere to it. <laughs> Dude, you are literally talking about everything right now. This is awesome. Does it make any sense? That's great. But you're like, this is this is the Father Derek talks about everything podcast. No, I, going, I am doing a going deep. terrible job of trying to you're going deep. explain this. I just wish like the the Catholic religion proposed the wonder that the country of China posed to people. Well, not necessarily China or any country. Like there's a fascination with the with the arts and like the way that they live. Like why do Chinese people eat with sticks? That's like weird, right? But with Christianity or the Catholic Church, the the fatigue is so real that we've lost sight of the beauty and the wonder that makes the Catholic Church who it is. And that's what I really appreciate about this author. Like I said, haven't read much about him, but uh, he, to me, reintroduces the mystery of it. Can I uh, just... Keep going, man. There's this just is, one this chapter. Is, this is the podcast of Father Derek Talks About Everything. There's the first chapter. It's called On the Creature Called Man. Okay? And the first section is about the man in the cave. Who are our first ancestors? Well, usually you think of this man who lives in a cave. He carries a club. He's a brute. Oh, okay. He carries his his wife or whoever, this woman across his shoulder. Just like, what's the word? Like prehistoric. Neanderthal. Neanderthal, thank you. Neanderthal, like Father James. <laughs> really, like, no personality. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, uh... Like, just, you think about this man who is not cultured, not learned, lives off the earth, doesn't wear clothes, at least in the way that we think about it, that he's ignorant of God, um, he just lives his life. But Chesterton, he very much disagrees with that painting. And instead, what he says is that um, there was an evolution of the idea of God for, him, for, for man. That man was originally not not a believer, but then over time, the idea of God came to him. For a lot of people, that idea of God has evolved from, yes, it helped us to advance science and medicine and culture and art. But at this point in history of man, not necessary. Because those things are going to save us medicine and science and stuff. But Chesterton talks about that man in the cave very differently. So uh, the you, you've seen that guy in the cave, like with the the idea of him painting animals and hunting. Like I don't know what he used, but he painted something on on the walls of the cave. Yeah, yeah. And that told us now that he was a hunter, or that was an important part of his life. But the way that Chesterton approach, approaches it, he says the man was an artist. Not a, not a brute with a club, but an artist. Someone who watched animals with a certain interest and presumably a certain pleasure. And that poses the question, like, within man, even in our earliest renderings, that he was adventurous, had an affection for animals, curious, had a painter's skill. Like, when you think of a caveman, you don't think of somebody like that, described like that. And so it just breaks open the idea of what man is really supposed to be. And I think it does elevate, it elevates at least my desire to be fully human, not just to be 
divinized, but what does it really mean to live a human life? St. Irenaeus has that quote, the glory of God is man fully alive. Glory of God, man fully alive. Boom. So primitive man was not just a beast, but we can observe him as a child, a child of God, someone with a soul. Yeah. Anyways, that was the only other point that I really wanted to make at this point. Oh, he says this. Oh, lastly. Art is the signature of a man. Art is the signature of a man. Which led me to think, yeah, you, you'll never find a pic of a, a man drawn by a deer, a cow, or a monkey. Hmm. I wrote that, though. Yeah. Only man can do art and treat himself apart from other animals. Good. Is that it? That's it. Five hours later, that's it? I haven't finished uh, the book. <laughs> so you haven't even finished the book, and you talked about everything. I didn't talk about everything. You said I talked about everything. There's this chapter in here, which I'm really excited to read. It's called The God in the Cave. You went uh, narrow and deep today, let me tell you. I'm proud of you. Good. Good. Let's do that. Good. Any shout outs today? Did we ever shout out the first communicants to those who received first communion this this weekend and next weekend? Yeah. Uh, we have four first communion masses. You're up to preach this next one. Ooh. Oh, get ready. Grace uh, yourself. Shout out to uh, Lindsay and Carl for hosting an amazing, they made an amazing dinner for me and Deacon Andy um, on Sunday. It was absolutely delicious. Shout out to Charlie and Violet. They're an amazing family. We love them. Great, awesome. And that's about it. Since Father Derek talked about everything, we will never have a podcast again. This will be the last time you hear Helen Magali's voice at the end. Goodbye. Helen McGalley. Mary C's Quarantined is a Mary C's of Wisdom dynamic original podcast.